even in these last few weeks with these guest speakers, we've, there's been these themes of prayer coming up. Um, David Fitch, uh, you know, encouraged us to be present in our neighborhoods, but, but then as we are present and proclaim the gospel to expect that God's going to be at work, to be prayerful in that, to be present to what God is doing. And two weeks ago, Aaron really addressed this important topic of unanswered prayer. What happens when our prayers aren't answered? How can we be raw and honest before the Lord? And last week, uh, Cody was with us, and, you know, he walked us through the, the, the garden scene with Jesus and just the richness of, oh, Jesus didn't just pray out of nothing. He prayed out of the story of the scriptures, and that informed his prayer and his heart and shaped his life as well. And then how he, you know, just, just showed up. That was kind of one big idea last week, that Jesus showed up for prayer. He showed up to be with his heavenly Father. And, and Cody encouraged us with that. And so kind of jumping off that today, I asked the question, well, it's so good to show up. And many of us still grapple with, well, what do we do when we show up? Well, what do we pray and what themes do we pray? And, uh, and so I want to look into that today because I believe that you and I have a longing in our heart to be present um, with the Lord. We have a longing in our heart for something even greater than we often experience in our times of prayer or with the Scripture. I think we have a longing in our heart for prayer to be real, for prayer to be meaningful, uh, for prayer to have substance to it, to be transformative for us and for other people in our lives. And so as we started way back at the beginning of October, hearing this call from the disciples, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Jesus responded with a prayer. He didn't respond with just tips. He didn't respond with the psychology of prayer. He responded with, a, with an actual prayer. And my experience over the last few years has drawn me even closer to this prayer that Jesus shared with his disciples. It's actually the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, and, and over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be exploring this prayer together. And I want to read it. I want to read it. And, and what I'd like to do is just kind of change our, our posture a little bit. I'm going to ask you to stand, and, uh, and, re- and we're going to read this prayer together. Because over the next few weeks, we're going to live in this prayer. We're going to swim in this prayer. Uh, we're going to let this prayer speak to us and shape us and transform us and challenge us. Uh, and I, I really believe it's going to do something uh, powerful in us if we allow this part of the scriptures um, to do this. So, so let's read this together, all right? As a prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. You can have a seat. A few years ago, uh, we were in a, I guess, an equipping discipleship environment with some of our community group leaders, and we walked through the Lord's Prayer. And what we were learning in that moment, and, and what was really striking me as so significant for me personally, is that this prayer uh, is more than just something to be said, is more than just something to be recited. And I grew up uh, in an Italian home, and many people who came to faith in my circle had Catholic backgrounds. And it was interesting is often what would happen in that environment is people would look at Catholicism, and I mean everything of Catholicism, not just one parts of it, and say like, oh, you know, it's all bad. And one of the things is people remembered growing up and going to school, in a Catholic school, and reciting the Lord's Prayer. So whenever someone would recite the prayer or say the prayer like that, it was like, oh, that's that Catholic thing, or that's a religious thing, or that's... And I'm like... And, and I kind of grew up sometimes hearing those things. 
And so personally, I think some, without knowing it, I would often distance myself from reading these kinds of prayers like in gatherings like this or seeing them as, as liturgical, as really vital, like in church life and in our, in, our, in our life of faith. And what struck me a few years ago is how incredibly accessible this prayer is and yet at the same time how incredibly deep this prayer is. I don't know who said it. I can't, quote, I can't remember the author, but said something like this, that this prayer is kind of like, is, is, is shallow enough for, you know, like a bird to just come in and drink from, and is deep enough for an elephant, elephant to take a bath. That makes sense, right? So it's like, it's so accessible for us, and yet it's so deep, we can swim in it forever and grow and learn from it. And so this, this prayer, what's fascinating about it is not just the prayer itself. I just want to share some context. It comes within a body of Scripture that's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 to 7. And if you've read Matthew's Gospel, and we've talked through it several years ago as a church, um, Matthew uh, divides his Gospel, and especially Jesus' teachings, in five major blocks. So think of the, five books of the first five books of the Old Testament, the five books of Moses. Matthew's kind of presenting Jesus to us as the new Moses, and here are these five blocks of teaching in Matthew's gospel, and one of these major blocks is known as, and you've all heard this probably, the Sermon on the Mount. You can even see this referenced sometimes in popular culture, because the Sermon on the Mount is one of Jesus' major teaching, probably his most popular teaching, but also one of the most revolutionary teaching of Jesus when we read through it. It really challenges us and calls us to something deeper and to a kind of life that engages our world in a significant way. And right in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount, 52 verses in, with 48 verses to go, we find the Lord's Prayer. In the middle of this revolutionary teaching, in the middle of this teaching that gives us a beautiful glimpse of God's kingdom and the life that Jesus invites us to, smack in the middle we find this prayer. Right in the middle of it. So it's such a, such an important prayer. Jesus says this prayer teaching his disciples, teaching us, but it doesn't come out of nowhere. There's some parallel themes, even in the Jewish culture that Jesus grew up in. And there's a, a prayer called the, the, the Kaddish prayer. It's oft, it was often said in synagogues. And uh, the Kaddish prayer says this. And l- listen to the similarity. I just quoted a little bit of it. Exalted and hallowed be his great name in the world in which he created. According to his will, may he let his kingdom rule. Does it sound familiar? Sounds a little familiar, right? Sounds a little bit like the first, first couple of verses. And so this was something that was familiar to Jewish culture, familiar to Jesus, probably familiar to his disciples. And here's Jesus now, now giving us something that's similar but different. And I'm going to say why it's different a little bit later on. But this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, um, was widely used in the early church. In fact, there's an early church document that's called the, the, the Didache. It was a teaching of the early church. And we find kind of the full form of the Lord's Prayer that we often recite today. And all throughout early church history and church history, this prayer is just constantly used. You can't find a decade or a century in church history without seeing this prayer. You can't find spiritual formation um, you know, content of the early church without seeing this prayer. And so today, we want to take a deep dive. And here's why we want to start taking a deep dive in this prayer. Jesus says these words like this, verse 9. He says, pray in this way. Pray in this way. Pray then in this way. And then he shares this prayer. And so... 
That's why we want to take a deep dive in it. And we're going to, we're going to just take line by line for, for the next six weeks leading us up to Christmas. And I think it's going to be one of the most countercultural Christmas seasons we might have if we really take this, this prayer seriously. Um, so let's start with this first line. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's say it all together. You ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're starting right here. And two things right off the bat that I want us to notice is when Jesus begins this, he's, he's picking up Israel's relationship with God. When Israel was in Egypt and was under slavery, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh is, I'll paraphrase it, watch it, these are my kids. Israel is my son. I'm going to rescue them. So in, 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 the, in the back of Jesus' mind, in the whole story that Jesus is living out of a Jewish context, one of the things in the back of his mind is, God is a father who takes care of his kids. But another thing that happens here with this line especially is that Jesus goes further because he introduces us to this fresh way of seeing God. Many people will say that it was truly Jesus who helps us understand God as father. Even though there's, there's glimpses of it in Israel's history and glimpses of it from that story, Jesus in fresh ways helps us to see God as father. So think about this. He goes beyond the Jewish prayer in the synagogue. The prayer in the synagogue basically says, exalted and hallowed, right, is your name. His name be great. From eternity to eternity, it ends like that. That sounds pretty lofty, right? Exalted is his name. It's from eternity to eternity. It's so big. It's so vast. It's so grand. But you don't get the closeness of God in that prayer from the synagogue. So it goes beyond that Jewish prayer in some sense. It goes beyond the non-Jewish culture of the time that Jesus just spoke into in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to read it with us, because just a couple of verses before, Jesus says these words in verse eight, uh, 5 to 8. And so just read it with me off the screen. So G- this is Jesus teaching his disciples before he shares this prayer. And he says this. He's talking about prayer now. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. So he's speaking about the religious people of the day. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to who? Your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus continues. If you can go to the next slide. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. And the word pagan is like basically the culture around us. For them, it was the non-Jews, the Gentiles, anybody in culture. Don't, don't pray like pagans, like babbling pagans that they just talk. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. So the more words, the more word count in your prayer, the better off you're, you're with God. If you thought like, if I only have a short sentence, God really doesn't care? Well, that's not true. If I only have a paragraph, if I only pray for two minutes, well, that's not really the point, right? Here's what he... So for they will be heard... Because of their many words. No. Do not be like them, Jesus says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't express ourselves to God because God just intuitively knows. But He's giving us a posture for prayer, a, 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 a process for prayer. But again, He says, Your Father knows what you need. So not only does Jesus go beyond the Jewish prayer in the synagogue, He goes beyond the pagan or Gentile or cultural view of prayer. And The heart of this is because you're not just praying to an excellent authority. You're not just praying to an exalted one. 
This is your heavenly Father. And this is part of the heart of this prayer because Jesus starts the idea of prayer and he starts this prayer in relationship. He starts to help us understand that the foundation of prayer, and it's the first line of this prayer, the foundation of prayer is relationship. Our Father. Our Father. My dad passed away 14 years ago, and none of us have perfect dads, but I feel I had a good dad and a person of integrity and a person who loved us and a person who left us a legacy. And I think about my dad often. I think about the times we spent together. I think about the times we spent at the table. I thought, think about times we were driving in a car together. I think about times when, when he would, you know, like, like reach back and grab our hand in the car when I was younger. You know, as I got older, I'm like, ah, but I still remember that, right? And, uh, and so I still remember his hands and, and, his, and, and the way his hands looked and the way, you know, his embrace was. And, and, you know, I remember him leaving the house before meeting in the evening and always having an espresso. Maybe that's why I love espresso so much. I don't know. But so I have this intimate, deep memory of my father. Some of us struggle to see God as father because of our experiences with our dads. And, and, and sometimes people say, well, I can't see God as father because I had such a horrible father or I didn't have a father. And it's unfortunate how often we can do this where we will project our experience with our dad onto God instead of projecting God's fatherly nature to impact us. We could do that. We could project that and then miss out on God's fatherly nature. Or we can do the reverse and say, what's God's fatherly nature teaching me? Right? And so there's something so powerful about this image. Fifteen times in the Gospels, Jesus describes his relationship with God with the word Father. Fifteen times in the Gospels. And then 14 times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses the word Father to teach his disciples to, to, to relate to God in that way. So we see a good chunk of the Gospels, Jesus relating to God as Father. And when Jesus teaches his disciple in the short two chapters in Matthew, he's teaching them. He's saying, I'm inviting you into also seeing God as Father. I want you to see God as Father. So vital. One of the Aramaic words for Father that we see pop up in the New Testament sometimes is the word Abba. And it's a very dear, tender type word for father. Maybe you've come across this and you've heard some people describe it as daddy, you know, like dad or daddy or papa in that way. And it's a real intimate address. Here, here's just some, some instances. Here's Mark chapter 14, verse 36. This is Jesus. This is him in the garden, Abba, father, this deep call to his father. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. You're not what I will, but you will. In this deep, difficult moment that Jesus is facing in the garden that two of our last you know, guest speakers alluded to, look at the language he uses. Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8, 15. Uh, Paul tries to help us understand who we are in Jesus, who we are because of our trust in Jesus. He says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership. Let's kind of include that. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. God's very own spirit in us 
comes and dwells in us and helps us with a posture of relationship with God as Father, Abba Father. Here's one more, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Um, because you are sons or children, God sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba Father. Isn't that amazing that in the work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that God would long for His Spirit to dwell in us for one of these very purposes so I can have an intimate relationship with God, so I can call God Abba, so I can have this, 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 this relationship with God that's intimate and affectionate. And that's what it comes down to. And when Jesus invites us to say, He doesn't just say, call God Father like it's an individual thing. He says, when you pray, say, our Father. Jesus is saying, hey, in a sense, we know Jesus is God, but there's metaphors in the, in the New Testament that help us see Jesus kind of like an elder brother. And Jesus is saying, when we pray, we pray our Father. Brothers and sisters, we're part of the same family, and we see God as our Father. Isn't that amazing? It's like Jesus is inviting us in. It's like maybe we were the lonely kid on the block, and... Jesus, our older brother, says, hey, you can come and have supper with me. Come and hang out at our table. And, um, you know, you're, just, you're part of our family. And then all of a sudden, you start to experience the blessing of that family, the, the provision of that family, the, uh, the, the, the safety of that family, the relationship of that family, the joy of that family. And Jesus is inviting us. He says, come and you, you also, you're, we're, we're praying this together. This is not just an individual thing. We're in a family together because of what the Holy Spirit will be doing in you and me. It's this beautiful, privileged access to God as Father. This is such a foundational piece of prayer. And then this second, second couple of words in there. Our Father in heaven. Now, how many of you can place heaven on a map. Can anybody place heaven on a map? Come on, no smart people out here. We, come on, West Side's smarter than that. We can, just joking. Um, we can't really place heaven on a map, but we often talk about heaven like it's on a map. Isn't it true? Like somewhere out there, somewhere further away. Maybe if we had a bigger map of the solar system, maybe if we went even further out, maybe if we can kind of like get, get whatever words you want to use to get even further out of like our galaxies, like maybe then we can place heaven on a map. Because there's been like language in the church and language in Christian culture, especially over the last hundred years, as if heaven is somewhere far away, as if heaven is some place that, that we, we go to far away and in the distant future. And yet the word heaven, as Jesus uses it in the Gospels, primarily means God's space, God's rule, God's place. God's authority, God's kingdom. In fact, when, when Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near, he often uses the word heaven. The kingdom of heaven has come here near. And so heaven is not just a place you go or a future destination. Heaven is actually God's space. Would, we, would, we, would I be wrong in saying God is present with us today? Would I be wrong in saying that? No. God is present with But is he far away? Is he like somewhere further in the solar system on some map? No, he's here. The difference is that we have our earthly realm and God has his heavenly realm and somehow they overlap. And God is present with us. And Jesus lived and breathed that idea of heaven, that heaven is where 
God dwells. A realm existing over top our realm. A space existing over top our space. And when we even see the picture in the New Testament when Jesus resurrects and then later ascends into heaven, he's not going a billion miles away. He's going into God's space. But God's space is always around us. So it's not far, it's close. And Jesus functions and lives and prays as if God is right there with him. So whenever, like a couple of weeks ago, we said Jesus went off to the mountain to pray, went off to the side of the, of, of, of the lake to pray, went, went to a quiet place to pray, went into the garden to pray. Was God there? God was there. He was always there. It's just that his space and our space overlap. So when Jesus went to the garden or the mountain or when we go to our chair or our living room or our office or a park bench, our space and God's space overlap. When, when Jesus uses the word heaven, our Father in heaven, part of that means our Father who is as close as anything else is close. As close as the breath that comes out of your mouth, that close. That heaven is so close at hand. And when we pray to our Father, he's right there with us. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that important? In fact, Jesus, not Jesus, but of Jesus, the writer of the letter of Hebrews says this, and, and I think it's helpful for us. And so he says, since we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, who has ascended into heaven. Again, there is this language, but it's going into God's space. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Why? Profess. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I mean, if... Jesus went into a place that was so far away, and that's where God's realm is, but then he says we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I mean, where am I approaching God's throne of grace? Am I getting on a train? Am I getting on a plane? Am I, like, running? No, I'm approaching God's throne. I don't have to go anywhere to approach God's throne. God's, God's space is all around me. And so I come into God's presence, and Jesus, the, the Scripture says we can go with confidence because of what Jesus has already done. That's the beauty of the invitation we have. So Jesus tells us to pray as if God is close. And he knows this to be true. He knows it more than us. You know why? Because Jesus is the only person who's been on both sides of prayer. Right? Jesus has been on our side of prayer. We know it. We see it in the scriptures. We see it in the garden. We see it in his life. But Jesus has been on, is on God's side of prayer too. Jesus hears our prayers. Jesus is with us in our prayers. The spirit of Jesus leads us and guides us. This just blows my mind that Jesus is the only one who's been on both sides of prayer. And if I'm going to trust anybody to teach me how to pray, I want to trust that guy. I want to trust the guy who's been on both sides of prayer. I want to trust the one who's been on my side of prayer and is on God's side of prayer because he understands both sides. And he tells us, you can pray to your heavenly father who is in heaven. He's as close as a breath. The foundation of prayer is intimate and close. That's, the, that's part of the foundation here. But this next, this next line in, in this, this first phrase of the, of the prayer helps us move further. Because as much as prayer is relational and, and the, the, this, this foundation of prayer is relationship, there's something about prayer that's also about reverence. It's also about reverence. Relationship is there, but it's also about reverence. Prayer instills 
reverence, or Jesus instills reverence into prayer for us when he says, hallowed be your name. Just before he says, your kingdom come, your will be done, he says, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed is like the word holy or glorified or something incredibly magnificent. And he says, hallowed be your name. And this phrase instills reverence into prayer. It's relational, but it is also reverence. Now, I, w- I want to just kind of mess us up a little bit because we always say it like this, right? Hallowed be your name. Have, has any, have you ever seen it any other way? I mean, when you hear people recite it or you've prayed it yourself. And most of our English language versions say that, hallowed be your name. But the interesting thing is the word hallowed is very similar to the word later on, a verb, like your kingdom come, your will be done, your name be hallowed. They're all verbs and they're all futuristic, and they're all pointing to something. And it's interesting, we could probably say this way, your name be hallowed. And it helps because right after your name is hallowed, your kingdom is come, and your will be done. And here, Jesus does something so important for us because the first three petitions of this prayer have not, is not me-focused. If you go after this, it's give us this day our daily bread, Right? Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Forgive us. So the, first, the next half of the prayer is our needs, our provision, our forgiveness, our temptation, our situation. But the first half of the prayer is your name, your kingdom, your will. That's so important. And this, Jesus, what's he's, what he's doing for us, he's helping us set up the priority of prayer. That when we pray, or our life of prayer, and I don't mean in every single prayer you pray, right? Because we can have snippets of prayers, right? Sometimes you just got to stop and say, oh gosh, Jesus, help me. You're like, oh, wait, wait, I should have said you're first. God, you know, it's like, it's not that um, technical. But the heart of prayer, and the posture of prayer, and a life of prayer, fits the, is, is meant to have this priority, and what's amazing here is Jesus invites us, this is, this is pretty interesting, Jesus invites us to petition God for his holiness. Holiness, Just like we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're, we're petitioning, we're saying, God, may your kingdom be here. God, may your will be here. We're going to get to that next week. But in, a, in the same vein, in the same sense, because it has a similar tense in Greek, it's your name be hallowed. We're appealing God's holiness. We're like, God... We want to see your holiness here. We want to see your name be hallowed. We want to see you worshiped. So we appeal, just like we appeal for his kingdom and his will, we're saying your name be hallowed. Set your name apart. Why why pray this? Why would Jesus invite us to ask God to petition God for his own holiness. Like, isn't God already holy? Is God, God's already holy, right? But the same thing. Doesn't God's kingdom already exist? Yeah. Doesn't God's will already exist? Yes. So why pray for it? Doesn't God's holiness already exist? It already does. But here's this petition to pray for God's holy. Yes, his name is already holy, and he's already hallowed. But when we say this, this is what we're, we're understanding. In heaven... In your space, because the whole sentence is together. Your, your kingdom come, your will, your, sorry, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's name is hallowed. In heaven, God is recognized. In heaven, 
God is seen as holy in his reality, but not always in ours. In his decisions always, but not always in ours. In his realm always, but not always in ours. In the life of the kingdom always, but not always in ours. And so here's this invitation from Jesus to actually petition God. The word in Greek is almost like a command. God, may your name be hallowed. And we're, 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 we're praying this because we don't fully get it yet. And the disciples didn't get it yet. And you and me don't get it yet. We don't fully get how hallowed God's name is, how reverent and awe God is, how majestic and awesome and powerful God is. So when we pray this like a petition and we say, your name be hallowed, here's a few things, and I just, I just list them on the screen to help us catch it in our minds. When we pray this, sorry, when we pray this, we're praying adoration. When we pray this, we, this is an act of worship. This is a declaration to say, God, I'm going to stand and put a stake in the ground and declare who you are. You're a holy God. You're a good God. You're an awesome God. So when we pray your name be hallowed, this is an act of adoration. This is an act of worship. This is an act of praise. And it sets our hearts right before the Lord, and it sets the priority of prayer. It's an act of worship. But the next thing it is, it's an act of, of revelation. What we're saying is, is, God, reveal yourself to me to be holy because I don't always, I don't always see your holiness. And I don't always understand your holiness. And, and I don't always see how big and incredible and strong and holy you are. I don't always see that. And often, I don't, if I'm really honest with myself, God, I don't stand in reverence of you as I should because of who you are. God, would you reveal your holiness to me? Would you reveal how holy you are, how hallowed you are to me? Because I need that revelation. I need to see that, God. Because I don't always see it. And I often miss it. And I often go the other way. So it's revelation. It's also application because hallowing God's name in, in, uh, in Jewish uh, culture at times, uh, one of the characteristics of Jewish ethics was hallowing God's name. Like to hallow God's name was, was, was a part of what it meant to pursue ethics in Judaism. In other words, how we live is how we hallow God's name. How you live your life is how you hallow God's name. And so there was, some later rabbis used to say this. I thought it was kind of funny. A Bible teacher who doesn't pay his bills profanes God's name. A Bible teacher who doesn't pay his bills profanes God's name. You know, it's like, well, maybe what, just because he was a couple of days late on his visa card? I don't know. Like, what does that mean? But there's something to be said about the integrity of a person who does what they say they're going to do, who lives as they feel called to live. So for the rabbis, it was a Bible teacher who doesn't pay his bills profanes God's name. But we, we get caught up with profaning God's name as like, being very careful not to put an expletive after God's name, right? We hear that. It's like, oh, no, you're, 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 putting, you're saying God's name in vain. Or when we hear our kids say something, like out of context, you know, say, oh, my God. Or, Don't say that. You're, you're, putting, you're, you're profaning God's name or you're saying the Lord's name in vain. And I get it. There's room for that. I often like, well, I've helped my kids in the past. Say, you know, guys, if we really have a relationship with the Lord and uh, we really see God for who he is, you know, just think about how we use that. But I think at the heart of application is, is you know, um, how am I treating my neighbors? Am I paying my bills on time? Am I honorable with, with the transactions I make? Do I turn a blind eye to, ju to justice? Or, sorry, to injustice? 
Do I slander a friend during the week behind their back? Have I talked poorly about someone in our church community behind their back? And so, in a sense, what the rabbis are saying and what it means to, to, to pray that God's name would be hallowed in my own life is asking the question, is God hallowed by the way I treat my neighbors? Is God made holy by the way I run my, bank, my banking account or my taxes? Is God honored by, by, by the way I speak about my brother or my sister when they're not around? Think about that, right? Is God's name hallowed in how I live my life? So important. And then the last one is proclamation, where when we pray this, when we petition, in a sense, God for this, we're saying, God, we want the world to know that you're hallowed. We want the world to know that you're holy. We want the world to know your nature and your character and your heart. We want the world to know who you are. And so when we ask God for this, we're doing two things. We're asking God to shape our view of him. When we pray, your name will be hallowed, we're saying, God, would you shape my view of you? Because my view of you often falls short of who you are. So we're asking God to do that. And we're asking God for a future world that would see him for who he is. We're saying, God, we long for the world to see you as holy. We long for the world to know your nature. We long for the world to stand in reverence and awe of you. That's what we long for. So we're praying for the present, for me. God, I want to see you in this way. Shape my view of you. And I long for a world to, to, to stand in reverence of you. And, and here's why I love the Lord's Prayer for, um, for Advent. Because Advent anticipates something that's coming. And you and me, even Jesus actually, stood in between two Advents. Jesus, when he walked with his disciples, stood between the first Advent, which was his coming, and the second Advent, which is his second coming. And you and I, even today, stand between two Advents. We stand between the the inauguration of God's kingdom when Jesus comes and says the kingdom of God is here and near, but we stand looking forward towards a day when God will will bring everything together and make all things new. We, we, We read it in Isaiah today. We stand in between those two pieces. And so when we pray this, we're saying, you know, this is how we want the Lord to shape us. So we pray firmly in the present. God, shape us to hallow your name. Shape us to to pray with this beautiful personal relationship with you, but also shape us to look towards the future. We anticipate that. We anticipate that. And here's why this prayer shapes us, and Jesus starts this way. And I think this is why. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed in a sense where he longs for everything that happens on earth to reflect heaven. When Jesus prays, he longs for everything to happen on earth to reflect heaven. And as we keep walking through this prayer, we're going to notice it's a revolutionary prayer because we, we will pray for things that we long on earth as they are in heaven. We're going to pray for things in this prayer that aren't always present in our life or in the world around us, but they are in heaven. And it's a revolutionary prayer because it could change our lives and it changes people around us. But it starts, it starts with relationship and reverence. It starts, our Father in heaven, you're as close as my breath, Abba, Father. It starts with, may your name be hallowed. Starts with relationship and reverence. So here's what I want us to do the next couple of weeks. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, reading 
the Bible every day or have a couple of things that you're walking through, or some of you are in EHR with us on Wednesday nights and we have some things we're reading every day. I'd love us to pray this. Think about it. Jesus says, pray this way. So for the next six weeks, I'd love us to do this because we can take this prayer in two ways. We can make it a, re- a repetition prayer or we can make it a template prayer. Repetition, right? It's like, Sam, say this. Okay, Dave, blah, 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 blah. That's repetition, right? But a template prayer is, you know, Zach, here's, here's the theme of this prayer. Go live with it for a little bit and start praying out of it, right? One's repetition, one's a template. But we can see them as both. Because when we see it as a repetition prayer, we can just internalize it. It can grow in us, right? So I want us to do both. Because when we repeat this prayer, the prayer gets in us, right? When we repeat the prayer, when we memorize the prayer, the prayer gets in us. But as a template, you get into the prayer. When the prayer becomes a template, it's not just the prayer getting into you. Now you're getting into the prayer, and you start living the prayer, and you start praying the prayer. So here's what I'd love us to do. If on a daily basis, we would just start to internalize this prayer and just just say it, really, once a day, a couple of times a day, it doesn't take more than, what, 10 seconds to say the prayer? That we would internalize the prayer. But from week to week, because this week we're praying the first line, that we would live in that first line. So every day or how many times a day you want to pray this prayer, you pray this prayer, internalize it, memorize it, get acquainted with it, live in it. But every day, the key is swim deeply in that theme. So this week, what theme do we swim deeply in? We swim deeply in this beautiful invitation to see God as Father, to be in relationship with Him, that He calls us to this intimate affection and to stand in reverence of who He is. Does that, does that sound, is that simple enough to do this for the next few weeks? Imagine you're, imagine, imagine you're at the mall and like all the Christmas stuff is around you and you're like, I'm going crazy. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh man, I really want that new iPhone Pro 11. It's so awesome. And I think I need the new, not just the new earbuds, I want the extra special cool Pro earbuds because I'm a DJ when I walk down the street. And so, but then, you, but then maybe that week we're going to be living like, give us this day our daily bread. And you're like, ah. Maybe I have enough, God. I'm good. You're with me. I don't know, but I think it'll be revolutionary. You ready for it? Let's stand and pray. Let's just think about this first line for a moment. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or maybe let's say it this way. Our Father in heaven, your name be hallowed. God, we're grateful that we are part of of a family, of a body rooted in Jesus, established in love. How lavished we are that we can be called your children. And so when we pray this prayer, we pray it as a community. We're not praying it alone. We pray it as a community, rooted in Jesus. God, as we pray this prayer, we address you as Father, and we just thank you. How bold, how bold a way to address you because intimacy and relationship is one of the most difficult things to find, and yet Jesus invites us to find it with you. 
So we call you Father, Abba Father. And we thank you that you are right here present with us, that heaven is not a billion miles away, that it's as close as our breath. It's as close as the person next to us. So God, as we pray our Father and we, we recognize that you are so close to us, and we so long for your name to be hallowed. God, we revel in the relationship, but may we grow in reverence to see you as who you really are. God, may we grow in adoration. May you reveal your holiness to us. May we live in such a way that your name is hallowed in our lives. And we appeal to you and pray and long and proclaim because we long for the world to see, to stand in reverence of you too because it's only good when they do or when we do. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.